what what does redondo mean does redondo have a meaning uh i probably but you know you're talking you should to, know uh, because you live there i'm a jewish boy from brooklyn what do you want from me <laughs> you could restore it all Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have a couple of folks on the, the line today. I will start by welcoming my co-host, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? Good. That's almost like the Jeopardy one. Oh, that I sound like the Prasanna Maliandi. Yep. Joining the, joining the podcast <laughs> from Santa Clara, California. Everything's going, Curtis. Uh, it's, it's been a rough week, but it would, you know, it's been it's been a tough week for a lot of people. Uh, you know, for those of you listening later, this this was uh, we're recording this obviously during the uh, during the lockdown, and uh, it was just yesterday that we passed a hundred thousand uh, dead from the coronavirus. It's been a it's been a tough week. And earlier this week was a day off in the U.S. for Memorial Day. Right, right. Did you get in any um, barbecuing? I did. Uh, I actually did uh, my, I made one of the best briskets I've made in a long time. <laughs> uh, I, I got, I pulled it just at the right time. And um, so it was, it was, it, it went off on rave reviews. So I guess if you ever need a second career, you do have an option. Dude, I have totally thought about making brisket uh, for the farmer's market, but we can come back to that later. <laughs> so uh, we have a return guest, I think now a three-time guest on yeah. podcast here. We love him the most. The episodes that he have, has been on have been real. I, I believe that the Hollywood, How Hollywood Does Backup or something like that is still the most popular podcast that we have. Welcome back to the podcast, Jeff Rockland. Hey, hey. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Thank Good. you for coming back on. Well, thank you for having me. And you're hanging out there in... in what What does Redondo mean? Does Redondo have a meaning? Uh, I probably, but you know, you're talking... You should to, know uh, because you live there. I'm a Jewish boy from Brooklyn. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking all these Spanish names. Come on. Um, I should. You're right. It means round. Oh, so it's the round beach. That's the ra- that makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because the only time you have a round beach is when you have an island. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I don't know. I know that Hermosa Beach, which is right next door, is pretty. So you yeah, know, pretty. But, but I, it, I, my favorite is actually El Segundo. So you know the reason why it's called El Segundo is because Chevron put its second major oil processing plant. I did not know that. Yes, that's how the town got its name. Wow, Steve yeah. Curtis, you learned something new. Well, that always happens when I'm talking to Jeff, because Jeff <laughs> is a fount of knowledge, some of yeah. it useful. As my children refer to me as useless knowledge man, that's correct. And I, and, I, and I keep correcting them by saying that it's only useless until you need it. That is that true. That is so true. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with Jeff more than a few minutes where I didn't pick up some, some random factoid that I did not already know. <laughs> I just file that away to pull out at some random time. And one thing I wanted to mention is that... My good friend Jeff and my colleague of over 25 years is currently, what's the phrase we use these days, Jeff? Exploring opportunities? I'm, I'm in the market. I'm you in are, the market. We're in the market. 
I've been uh, being so being in the entertainment industry, uh-huh. uh, as you know, these are hard times in the entertainment industry because things are pretty much shut down. And so a lot of companies have been going about, you know, cutting back on their costs. And mm-hmm. I have unfortunately been caught in the middle of that. So um, right. I will you were, for food. I, I think it's saying, putting it mildly to say it's, a, it's an awfully difficult time to be looking for a job. Uh, but I will just say Jeff has been in and around the entertainment industry for 30 years at least i mean you you've yeah. you've been on all sides of that you you were you were an actor you've been in it you've been, you've yep. been on the production side the post production side you've been on yep. the digital i'm in uh, the visual effects society yeah. i've done animation i've done yeah. live action i've done broadcast yeah you know if you need somebody that understands the entertainment industry and it I, I can't think of somebody more qualified than 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 uh, Jeff. Jeff, do you want to just throw out your email address? Uh, my email is jrock, J-R-O-C-K, at jnrprod.com. I'm open for, you know, short gig consulting work. I'm open for long-term stuff. I work really well with creatives. I'm very, very good at explaining complicated technology to people who don't want to or need to understand it, but have to know because they're writing the check. So... If I could be of any help to anybody, by all means. If you need somebody that knows this business and knows IT and also knows how to manage people, give my friend Jeff a call. Thank you, Curtis. I really appreciate that. Since you were coming on, Jeff, I asked you if if there was something you'd like to talk about. And you immediately suggested what it's like to pick a backup product and, and, and what that process is like. And as soon as you said that, I hearkened back to... A hundred years ago, when you you and I were working together in El Segundo, yes, yes, um, at what at that time was called Hughes Space and Communications. For those of you that don't know, Jeff and I at one point worked for the same company. Jeff left that company to go to work for HSC. I at the time was still working for that same company, but so Jeff was actually a customer when I was working with you back in the day. And I had this thing that I called an RFI, right? Request for information. And it was a a spreadsheet of like 300 something questions that had to do with backup products. You know, do you do this? Do you not do this? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what I remember was I, one of the ways I describe you was you were the person who helped me use my own RFI. Do, do you remember the the big aspect that you brought to the table in that, or do I need to remind you of the of the the big part that you brought to it? Uh, remind me, because I don't All right. know what you're. Yeah, talking. I mean, it, it was there was it was a quarter of a century ago. So what you really brought to the table was this idea of weight, right? That of of those three hundred something features, not all of them. Yeah had the same weight in terms of value to that particular customer. And that one thing uh, really just, uh, you know, just open that up. So let's just talk about. But before you get there. Yeah, sure. I think you should do our disclaimer. Yes, our disclaimer that uh, Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. So that, that story was to just, you know, explain to the listener that the Jeff and I have been picking backup products for a really yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that impressed me early on about you uh, was a your systems administration skills were really good, and b you loved backups. Nobody <laughs> loved doing backups, but Curtis, like, he could eat, sleep, and drink backups, and it was like 
every company should have somebody like this working for them because of how actually important they really are. You want somebody who cares about it and doesn't just go, oh, I got to work backups now. It's a difficult job to find somebody for, right? Because it's, it's, it's a difficult job. It's, it's possibly the worst sysadmin job, right? Because yeah. you, you know, you're invisible or you're in trouble. No one remembers the millions of backups that you got right. They only remember the one restore that you got wrong. Let's first talk about before we even talk about products, the first thing we need to do is gather requirements. Yeah. And how would you recommend uh, doing that, Jeff? So um, I I did this fairly recently at my, my last employer before my position ended. The first thing to do is figure out where all the data was, right? Because in a modern day corporation. I mean, it was always like this, but it's gotten really much more complicated because of things like cloud and and um, and all of that. I had to go around and find where everything was because we had two or three discrete backup systems that were running in different places. So we had, uh, I, I was working for a, a fairly large e-commerce company and uh, we had um, the production um, side of the house, which was the customer-facing systems, right? Which a great piece of it lived up in AWS. Um, and then we had the the BI part of the business that was attached uh, both to the inside marketing and the outside customer data that lived in this hybrid space for a data lake. And then we had um, our database service, which fed production, which lived actually in our data center, but fed the cloud. And then I had all of the IT functions in the company where we had servers and storage that fed all the business functions uh, within the company, you know, email, exchange, all of that good stuff. And then because we were in a in the entertainment industry and, and had some creative pieces of the business attached, we had actual internal video production that we were doing as we were creating uh, video and and streaming segments for the websites, uh, which had its own discrete system with an asset management tool and all of that, which sat physically in the building where people were working to reduce latency, right? And so you had all of these different pools. You had to decide what was your priority for this backup, but also keep in mind what you wanted to do in the future so you didn't wind up Again, having six or seven different products serving you. And then once, and, and the way to do that, of course, is visit everybody, right? You've got to be I was going to just ask you is how long did it take you to go hunt down these 10 different people or areas, yeah. I guess, uh, I where mean, all this data was living? I had been with the company for a couple of years and I was in charge of uh, tech operations for the non-production facing systems, but I learned pretty much everything that was going on. So I kind of knew where the different spots were within the company. Um, I would say, though, it took me about three months of serious data gathering. Because once you find the data pool, you have to find the owner of the data pool. And, and, and <laughs> right. often there isn't an owner of the data pool. There's just, oh, that guy was the last one who did something with it, right? Um, and then once you find all of those folks, you need to then get the information you need to get in and take a look at it. And once you see what it looks like, figure out what exactly kind of condition it's in. A perfect example is the creative side of the house, right? They had a uh, they had a media asset management system that was connected to a local 
local built-in SAN that was part of the overall system. But when the SAN ran out of space, instead of doing something you know funny like cleaning up after themselves, <laughs> um, they just put a credit card to AWS, grabbed an S3 bucket, and started copying files up there. Right. Sweet. <laughs> Without passing them through the asset management system first, which means they were never tagged. You didn't know what was there. So, and, and when I, when I say they were, you know, just sticking stuff up there, there were petabytes of files sitting up in S3, costing money every month. And nobody knew whether they needed to keep them or they needed to get rid of them. Right. So that, that, by itself was a, a month and a half of sitting down with folks and saying, we need to find a human resource who's willing to sit down and look at this stuff and say, yes, keep this, no, throw this away, or you know what, stick this off in a salt mine somewhere, I may want it in the future, right? And that was just the, the creative side of the house. <laughs> um, uh, the 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 folks that were running the, the database side of the house, you know, we we wanted to make sure we had the right kind of product that could back up the databases and also uh, tie into some other services maybe for the upcoming Consumer Privacy Act, you know, because we needed to. One of the things about the California Privacy Act is you have to be able to identify all data you have on, an, on a given individual when they ask, uh, which means right. you have to catalog and index all your data everywhere in your business in order to be able to do that. And so... So I would say. So this is a this is a good sort of um, companion task to go with CCPA and GDPR. Uh, yes, yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, we could we could have a completely different discussion at some point about what it took to get um, an e-commerce site working with GDPR and CCPA, because um, it was that that was a long time. That took a lot of work. Um, but anyway, so I probably would say it took me about three months from start to finish to really put together the specifications of the amount of data I had, the different kinds of data it was, and and how we were going to back it up. So let's just summarize that. So that that first phase, sort of that that step is the figure out where all your data is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And and that is much harder in today's oh, yeah. environment than it was back in the day, yeah. you know, back uh, when dinosaurs were on the earth, when, <laughs> when you had a data center. By the way, I remember when I, I, I was kind of excited when I, you know, I, I went up to go see you at this e-commerce facility yeah. and I was very excited to get it, like a tour of the place. And then I was very disappointed to find out there, there wasn't. Like there was nothing yeah. There. yeah, I know. I was like, you're like, well, here's the cafe yeah. and here's our nice patio where we can sit out and drink stuff from the cafe and wait, why was there nothing there? Because everything was all distributed? Because everything's everything's all right. over the place. My knock my knock was pretty. Yeah. The knock was pretty. <laughs> we had all the pretty monitors up and all that was pretty. That was pretty. Uh the the other thing, once you've figured out where all that data is. And, and you, you alluded to this in, in the discussion, uh, and that is you have to figure out what human beings are interested in that data, right? The business units, the stakeholders, because that would, can I agree, can you agree that that would be the next phase is to yeah. now we have to gather some requirements from those people? Uh, yes, absolutely. Because so by my personal nature, I'm a pack rat, right? And I'm afraid to throw out anything that might be valuable to the business. 
and nowadays everything's valuable to the business, right? Now that you're seeing more um, big data, business intelligence stuff going on with AI on top of it, uh, people don't want to throw out anything. One of one of the competitive advantages of the particular company I was working for was they've been in business for 15 years, and therefore they had 15 years of consumer uh, shopping patterns um, already on file. So they could use that to generate things like promotional campaigns for movie studios on how to sell more tickets, right? Um, and so you don't want to throw anything away anymore because you never know what kind of value it's going to have uh, going into how you're going to do your marketing going forward. So finding finding people who own these individual discrete chunks of, of data that are floating out there is really important. And sometimes what you find is it's a legacy system, right? That's been around for a long time and, and somebody inherited it when the guy who created it, you know, three employees ago uh, left um, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say, right? Uh, their, their instinct is always going to be, well, I don't know what it is, so keep it somewhere because we're all in that same boat. You know, we all want to have historical data available to us to help market the business going forward. Um, but half the time, people don't know what they got. Just along that same lines that people sometimes will say, okay, there's data there, just keep it the same way. And just from a requirements perspective, also saying, just do whatever I'm doing today. Yeah, well, a, a lot of that, though, is about uh, inertia, right? A lot of it is, wait a second, you mean I have to take more time out of my day to <laughs> stuff that I don't know that I care about? You know, yeah. I just leave it alone, right? And that's where a lot of that comes from. Um I, and and this is it's that's a, a universal problem. I'm sure everybody feels it. I experienced it back in my studio days when it was I can go out and spend a hundred thousand dollars on more storage, or you can clean up your space, right? And they'd look they'd look at you and go, you know, thousand. Yeah, no. I'm mean, in the end. At first they they balk, and then it would be like, well, artists can either make art or they can clean up after themselves. Spend the hundred thousand. Right. And so you run into that same kind of problem here. It's like before you press that button to delete it, it's really scary because inevitably somebody will come back six months later and go, hey, you remember that stuff we had sitting out over here? I, I need access to it. Now. <laughs> and and so uh, it's it's about finding the people who understand what's out there and are responsible for it in the in their job area and then also getting them to commit and that sometimes is hard right i mean in an ideal world i'd have every data owner uh sign a contract that says yes on this date i agree that it was okay to delete this so that when they come back in six months and they want your head on a platter you can show them and say no 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 we we really we spent time talking about this yeah. So what happens when you can't find that stakeholder, right? I know you said you're trying to hunt them down. And I'm sure there are probably cases where, hey, there's a bunch of data, but I don't know who this person is. Or it's like five people ago, or it's like 10 projects ago. So so, <laughs> so the uh, if, if you can't You're like find, a detective, right, at that point? Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and sometimes being a detective means using brute force in getting the job done. So um, if I can't find who's using it, um, either by asking around or watching the storage and seeing if it's doing something and pointing back to what processes use it, um, and I can't find anybody who's willing to step up and say, hey, that's mine, typically what I'll do is I'll take it offline. And see if and, anyone and, complains. And see if anybody else, yeah. <laughs> 
You know, it's it's funny. As much as things change, the the the, the, the they stay the same. That's exactly yeah. what we did. You know, back in the day. Uh, and I remember we had, uh, uh, here's an old piece of equipment an AT&T 3B2 4000, which was the AT&T's first attempt at, for those of you that don't know, the 3B2 was the first computer specifically designed to run Unix. And the 4000 was a, an attempt at a multi-processing architecture. And we, we had this giant project to move everything off. And then we had some projects that we couldn't, uh, identify. And the only way in the end that we identified yeah. him was we turned it <laughs> off and yeah. <laughs> waited for somebody to complain. Sometimes that's the uh, the most effective way to do it, right? And and as long as you protect the asset and you, you make sure that you know my the 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 moments in my life right. when that has been a terrifying thing to do is when it's for example going back to, to give you an idea of how old I am, right? Going back to Y two K when we were checking all of the systems at the studio I was at. Um, to make sure they were properly patched, we found a very old Sun One sitting in in a com closet <laughs> up in a corner of the building that was still up and running. It had been going for like two thousand days, right? And nobody knew what was on it. Nobody knew what it was doing. The only thing we could do to find out was to turn it off. And fortunately, nobody was using it. But there's that moment where it's like, if I turn this off, <laughs> will I actually be able to turn it back on again? Yeah. <laughs> because this machine is so old, you know, or the drive's going to seize up. You don't know. So, yeah. Actually, you know, we just discussed um, on uh, the, 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 the actual, the official Druva podcast that I, that I do record. I just discussed <laughs> that I picked up the nickname Crash <laughs> when I worked, when I worked at uh because I was working in Chicago at a, a large oil and gas company and I was administering systems just like that, that no one had ever yeah. touched them in like many, many years. And so I, I was like, I need to patch it. I, I need to do the thing. And so I would do the thing, which would require turning it off. And it, and quite often they would not come back on. And then I, and so I, I just had to get really good at backup and restore, yeah. which luckily, you know, that was my thing. I, um, so basically have, you yeah, created I, your, yeah, or you ensured you had job security is what you're saying. Me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, created I, have my own a, I have, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I'm sorry. I'm, you can edit it out later if you need to. Okay. No, but you, <laughs> you'll never happen before you were yeah. there. I don't know if you remember this. Back when, back in our aerospace days, there was this server that was sitting off in one of the satellite buildings that had a database of photographs of custom-built tools that they had built for the process of building satellites. And it was really old, and it had an external drive sitting on it, and nobody paid any attention to it, and one day it went down, right? So there's no backups. There's nothing for this machine. And I go out and I pick it up and I can't get it to start up again. The drive has just died. It won't spin up. So I take it. I check with the people who owned it. And I said, how important is this data? And they were like, oh, we desperately need this. So I went back to my desk and I found uh, a company like Data Savers or whatever that does drive restore. And I made the arrangements with them and I wrapped it up and I handed it to the guys in the mailroom and I said, mail this to where you're, where, you know, it needs to go. And now mind you, this is a big aerospace company, right? They build satellites and launch them into right. space. And part of the way they get those satellites to the launch pad is once they're done testing them, they pack them up really well. And then they use a service like FedEx to ship them to French Guiana 
where they then get assembled for the rocket, okay? So you'd think they'd understand technology. Um, I get a call two days later from the, the drive repair guys, and you know, I think they were in Florida, and, and the guy's like, uh, Mr. Rockland, um, we got your drive today. I'm like, yeah. It's like, um, there's a problem. I said, what's that? I said, well, they kind of stuck it in a Mylar envelope with no padding and just shipped it to us. So, so needless to say, the drive arrived completely shattered at the drive repair guys. And they're like, I don't think we could fix this now. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. You know, it, it, it's funny you, you bring up the drive. That was actually our last uh, topic, uh, the podcast yeah. topic. We talked about drive recovery services last week. The point, though, at the end of it for me is I now have a collection of different data pools within the company and what format they're in, right? Whether it's something that's like sitting on object storage, something that's sitting on a local NAS, something that's, you know, um, sitting in a database somewhere and some idea of how we want to protect it, right? How urgent the protection is. So you've identified the data, you've identified the stakeholders. Let's talk about that conversation of gathering Business requirements. Um, um, yeah. RTO and RBO yeah. requirements, right? How did how did that conversation go? Uh, some folks, <laughs> yeah, you know, the the customer doesn't really, and for me, everybody's my customer, right? Because I'm a support operations guy. Um, the customer doesn't really know the answer to that question, right? Um, when you are designing your system up front, say you're talking about the websites and the database operations for the, the customer facing stuff, right? You know, it's 24 by seven by 365, you know, you have to support a certain capacity. And so you build it into the architecture of the system you've got, right? And backups are your, the world is coming to an end. I need to go back to my backups or somebody screwed up and I need to go back to my backups. But generally speaking in that world, things are sufficiently redundant and, and properly architected for um, survivability that you don't ever really have to go back to your backups, right? Um, when it comes to some of the other folks, the, the biggest challenge is they don't know whether or not they want it until they want it, right? So for them, you get a sense of what I'm, in my questioning, I try to get a sense of how often they use certain kinds of data, um, how often they're driven to go back and look at things that they maybe don't look at every day or have to go back and pull things back online. And from that, I can get a sense of whether it needs to be deep vaulted or near line, right? So for example, when you're building content for a website, you, you go out and you videotape an interview with somebody, you transcode it, you get it ready, you build your package, you put it up on online. They may never go back to that interview again, or they may, or the movie may turn out to be really successful and they go back to that interview a thousand times in the next 12 months, right? So it, you have to have some idea of the data you're dealing with, um, the, the who is in the content maybe, if that's the case. And from that you decide, you know what, this should live on the nearline space probably for a year and then maybe migrate off into something colder. Do you ever talk about like cost? And do you notice that customers or that the end users have different... Um, answers depending on if you bring costs. So for instance, you could say, yeah, I can make sure that it's available within a second, but it's going to yeah. cost you $1 million versus. Yeah. yeah. So, so generally speaking, my answer to that would be the person who actually uses the data always wants it available immediately, no matter what it costs. Yep. And the person <laughs> who has to pay the bill for that says, no, 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 we don't need to do that. Right. And so there's always a battle 
at some level between finance and the actual user. Yeah. And so you, you were in big enough companies where those were not the same people, obviously. Yes. I've been in both. But yeah, generally speaking, that's the case. Most of the time, when you go back to the user and you explain to them what the cost is, uh, they will um, start to uh, become a little bit more introspective about it and, and come up with a better uh, answer for you than, no, 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 I must have it back right away. Um, and, and you know, the reality right. is if you're somebody who needs access to the data immediately anyway, that's probably an architectural problem in the way your system was designed up front, right? Because mm -hmm. if you need data back really, really quickly, you should have architected a system that was highly available. Do not rely on your backup infrastructure to solve that problem for you. That's right. Yeah, good point. Have you ever worked anywhere where they did chargeback for things like um, this? Um, not on a detailed scale. Um, so, for example, when I worked in when I worked at Disney uh, in the animation studio, there was a broad chargeback to a show. Right, so uh, we would have five or six movies in production simultaneously, and the cost of the studio overall would charge back against those five or six shows that were in production. But it never really got down, at least not from an infrastructure perspective, because we were core and we serviced everybody. There were parts of software engineering that would charge back against an individual project simply because the tool was being made for that individual project, right? So mm -hmm. we were part of this big underlying uh, cost. Uh, you know, it's like electricity for the building doesn't get sliced up across all the different groups. I'm glad you drew that analogy. So electricity might not get built, you know, built back, but if somebody decided to start making robots and that required a doubling in the electrical capacity, you might do that. You might charge that oh, increase back to that. No, no, absolutely. Unit. And depending on the way your business operates and how detailed you are um, in setting that kind of thing up, uh, it would make sense. You'd want to you'd break up the, the foundational costs as well. Um, but a lot of the companies I've worked for, and you would be surprised, some of the largest companies I've worked for don't have proper chargeback systems in place. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I've actually never had a client. I'm trying. I'm thinking, trying to think right now. I've never had a client that had a mature, you know, direct cost-based uh, chargeback mechanism because it is complicated. Because a lot of people don't have it, and if it's not automated and it's not, yeah. you know, foolproof, meaning you know, you're not constantly arguing over, well, I didn't really spend this data. I do think, you know, I, I stand by the opinion that a, a proper, uh, automated, correct billback architecture is the only way to drive the conversation that we were just talking about, which is, well, I want my data back, you know, now I want an RTO and an RPO of zero. Well, that's fine. It's going to cost your business unit that you are responsible for $1 million an hour. And then they can, and then they, as a business unit, can make a decision. But as long as it's, you know, the, the, as long as they're not responsible for the, um, yeah. you can also, what I've also seen is shame back. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> right. By the way, Jeff's been using a lot of storage and it's costing the company a million dollars. I, I saw that kind of the, the, I'm going to charge your project for storage, uh, more in the case of using storage, right? And not core infrastructure like network or, or backups or, or, you know, 
necessarily uh, render farm kind of resources. Um, if, if you were, if your show decided that they were too busy to clean up their space and we had to go out and physically buy more space in order to keep your show going, we would make your show pay for it. And that, again, then it became a, a more real discussion amongst production management as well as studio management of whether or not they wanted to um, invest the money in human capital or they wanted to invest the money in, in physical resources. I, I do wonder if you had, let's say you as a company, you know, like go back to Disney, right? Say you as a company had a standard RTO and RPO, which are the two numbers that are going to drive most backup design. You had a standard RTO and RPO. If you had a, a new movie project that came to you and said, well, this is the new, you know, this is the new direction of our company. And because of the way we're doing things, we need an RTO and RPO of zero. And that, and, and that might, well, that would definitely be an increase in your cost. It would be directly associated with that project. I wonder if you would then be able to charge that back to them. When we did startup costs on a show, we would we, we built a magic number that took into account the cost of network, the cost of storage, the cost of, of render cycles, the cost of desktop cycles, all of the things you needed, right? So there was a, a, a literal dollar amount per person kind of thing that you could apply to the show so that if they added 50 people, they would know that their bill is going up by this amount to, to do things. And we could get away with some of that, but, you know, backups are one of those things where it's like, it's like homeowner's insurance, right? You want to, you want to not have to buy it. You definitely don't want to have to think about it all the time. And you definitely don't want to be told that because you're not buying it, you better hope your house doesn't catch fire. Um, and so people treat backups like, you know, just, just, do whatever you have to do, just make sure I can get my data back when I need it. And and if you've got it in control, it, it kind of runs under the radar. The, the, the first place I worked at from a studio perspective that, that took a different approach to how storage was protected was probably DreamWorks. And that was because since DreamWorks had built into their, their financial model sequels from the beginning, Right, because when when J.K. decided he was going to make a movie, he knew that he was going to amortize the cost of the first movie across three, let's say, right, and he was going to make sequels. Uh, we always put in enough storage so that the data set from the previous movie never went offline, uh, mm. because they would always be referring back right. to it in order to make the next movie. And so by doing that, it, you could do a you could do a deep backup of of a data set at the end of a show and then not have to worry about it anymore unless somebody got into it and messed with it because you had two copies instantly, right? You had the deep copy that was often in the salt mine and you had one that was always on spinning disc. Um, uh, the other studios, we did all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, up to and including, sorry, somebody in my neighborhood likes uh, loud cars. Um, <laughs> um, up to and including, you know, tens of thousands of CDs. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I remember the CDs. Yeah. So, okay. So, 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 to just summarize where we've gotten to so far, like we've had this massive process, and you've been at some BFCs. <laughs> the, the process of identifying all of the data can be very daunting in today's world, and then the process of identifying who owns that data can also be yeah. very daunting, and then the process of getting them all to agree or at least accept, you know, maybe begrudgingly accept a basically 
RTO and RPO requirements and, uh, and uptime requirements and yep. things like that. Um, that, that can also be, and each of these has their own like political difficulties along the way. Right. But all of that is super yeah. important before you ever begin to, to talk, to start talking about, Hey, we're going to buy yeah, a new absolutely. backup product. And, it's- and, and with that, I want to close. This is going to be part one. <laughs> because I'm going to close part one of what might be a two part, might be a three part <laughs> series is based on how this is going. I'm going to close out this episode and I want to, I want to thank you, Jeff, for joining, but we're just going to go right into, into part two here. Prasanna also thanks for joining and uh, thank you everybody else for listening and make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Maybe one day it'll all work out. You're sure so.